It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. We explore the biggest losers in American history. If you're a regular listener, you would already know that. If not, thanks for checking out the show, man. Um, we are recording, as always, live in our time, not in your time if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, actually, if you are listening to this, open up a book and point to a uh, sentence in the book, and I will read it out loud. That's how close we are. We are here at a shared universe studio. Uh, Mike and Ming taking great care of us, as always, here at uh, Eatontown, New Jersey. Behind the ones and twos, the only man that can do it for us, the one and only Big Kahuna. How are you feeling, bud? I'm good, man. I'm good. Kahuna. Kahuna is, uh, again, We he's doing double duty today because we just recorded an episode yeah. before this, and he has great absolutely, we have obliterated his Saturday morning cartoons, which <laughs> he's right. not getting any of them. I missed everything. everything. Now everything. it's just those boring right. adult shows now. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, That being said, uh, of course, as always here on uh, what is his temporary uh, last episode. Temporary uh, last episode. Temporary last episode. Sounds until, awkward. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, South Beach Larry has to uh, – <laughs> my father, uh, Lawrence Patrick Burke, the dilf of a dad that I record this show with every week. He's actually going on sabbatical. Right? He's taking a mid-season hiatus. He's going uh, to be heading down to uh, Florida, but he's not one of those snowbirds. He's got work to do down there. The yeah. cold hurts my bones. <laughs> That's it. it. Got to work on that Irish tan. I got to get a couple yeah. different shades of red here. Uh, my, my beautiful saint of a mother uh, needs to get down there, man. She is not made for winter anymore. Um, that being said, we are recording live in the great state of New Jersey. It is only apropos that we would have on as a guest uh, one of my closest friends. I love him. He Ugh. does not love me back. Um, that's been it's made one-sided. Very Oh, yeah. it's unrequited, as one would say, as Lord Byron would say. One way street. Um, the Lord Byron reference was made for uh, our literary fans. Um, but that being said, uh, one of my closest buddies, a great comic and a great all-around guy, a potential former roommate of mine, give it up for Big Rich from Jersey, guys. Rich McDonald's. Oh, thank you, KP. Thank you for having me on the show. The audience is great wow, here. Wow, wow. I actually came. The crowd goes I should have gotten that little sound effects box for you. <laughs> I got one from the dollar store. It works great. And, uh, those who are listening at home, just to describe Big Rich from Jersey to you, he is a strong woman of color. Um, <laughs> so we have checked every box here for diversity. Sure. Strong, independent black woman who don't need no man. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know that's right. Uh, but that being said, man, we're going to dive into a pretty fun topic today. Uh, now, Rich, I told you ahead of time on this guy. You did? You, you can know a little bit about this guy. Everybody knows a little bit, but they don't know that they know the guy. All right. He is fascinating. Um, I would consider him to be the Buffalo Bills of uh, running for president. Can't right. argue that. Yeah, uh, gets uh, gets into the final race and just never gets the job done. So, but guys, he gets there. He does have right. to battle consistently. He's in, he's in the house as far as the battle is <laughs> concerned, but uh, never comes home with all the marbles. Laces out, Dan. Um, <laughs> it's too soon. That being said, the guy we're going to talk about today has some pretty cool nicknames, all right? Um, one nickname we heard for him, LP, was uh, the Great Commoner. Okay, pretty good nickname. Uh, the Boy Orator of the Platte. Another pretty good nickname. Of the Platte. Yep. 
of the Platt. So uh, he may never have been president. He is always a bridesmaid, never a bride. But he was listened to and loved and hated by large portions of the nation. Just like K.P. Burke. Indeed. <laughs> Slowly but surely, right, man? We're going to piss off every one person in every state. That's as long as we get a reaction. Love or hate, as long as we're getting a reaction, it's a win. Well, uh, again, our podcast continues to trend in the Russian Federation, which, uh, as we said, um, uh, on the one hand, we want to uh, disavow any information we might have been sharing with um, the gentleman over there. But at the same time, uh, if you're listening to the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, and you can even – you can praise Putin, whatever you have to do, as long as I get up on the rankings there. <laughs> the, uh, the gentleman in question today for uh, the, uh, this episode of American Loser, this guy truly is one of the early on guys that I came up with. I remember pitching this uh, show to you in your backyard in West Orange, Rich. And, uh, Good you're, times. You're one of the people that told me um, over a series of beers that um, – You'll never make it. You'll never make but it. But this podcast sounds like a good idea. It's a, you're the first person who actually told me this was a podcast. I tried to write this as a book at first, which a lot of people don't know. Um, it that works being, as a book, as a show. Come on. I tell, yes. So I'm for those listening, you, I'm sorry. It's a good brand. It's a, good brand. <laughs> it's a lot easier to ignore a book. Um, <laughs> that's right. Right. You can put a book down. <laughs> well, uh, Most of us can't read. Much like uh, – much like uh, myself, where I always keep coming back, all right? Uh, William Jennings Bryan is uh, today's topic for American Loser. This guy's fascinating. The episode we just did that we're going to put out in order here, Dan Sickles was earlier. Dan Sickles fucks up nonstop and everything just goes right for him. William Jennings Bryan does the right thing at every turn and it never goes right for him, all right? So this is not a companion piece to that episode, but I did find uh, I enjoyed the dichotomy between the two of them. Ooh, dichotomy. Um, Listen to the words. This yeah, what did this guy do all week? Uh, we got Google, you know what I mean? Yeah. I sit in a van at work all day. Uh, he and, talk, he and, you just, and you just start <laughs> looking up words that'll make you sound important <laughs> in a conversation. In Guys, I'm not, I, I didn't want to bring attractions. I'm not trying to be obstreperous. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to get into the topic here, all right? Nice. Enough of the hyperbole. Somebody got a word of the topic day down Topic we get back in 2019. <laughs> We get back to topic now. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Quite the philanderer. That, uh, that being said here, guys, uh, born in Salem, Illinois in 1860, William Jennings Bryan's father was a lawyer and a judge. Not even in the cool Salem. No. Uh, <laughs> also, and he doesn't stick around in Illinois too long, actually. He's associated with a different state, which we're going to get to in a second here. But I think uh, most people don't stick around in Illinois. It's like, isn't it like one or two most moved out states, too? Uh, very expensive. <laughs> I enjoyed my little bit of time over in Chicago, but uh, I don't think anybody doesn't have fun in Chicago. Um, Brian was raised in a household that uh, deeply admired Andrew Jackson and Stephen A. Douglas. Stephen A. Douglas, by the way, the man who ran against Lincoln for president. So he was raised in a household that venerated losers. So, <laughs> See that guy on the wall? He almost made it. <laughs> you right. can almost make it one day, too. Uh, but uh, now here we are. Uh, they, they worshipped. His father was a huge fan of Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson has a complicated legacy in American history, but the biggest thing you can't take away from him is that he was uh, the common man. He was born in a log cabin. Right. He is the first president of the United States, I believe, to be born in the United States. Um, now, uh, it's very interesting, too, here, because uh, he is the first guy that really put into effect the idea that the presidency is the office of the people. All right, so it was the common man president. This is the working class guy here, man. Andrew Jackson's good people's dude on that champ. stuff. Right. Yeah, the people's up, champ. Up from uh, no beginnings or hard scrabble beginnings and yeah. ends up being president of the United States. He proved that uh, it doesn't matter what your background is. If you dig in deep, work hard, and believe in yourself, you can also have uh, the Cherokee removed from their lands. Um, 
Yeah. Well, there are there are downsides to Andy Jackson, but funny. <laughs> <laughs> but the man deserves to be on currency. Still, I will say that. I mean, he's too interesting of a guy. All right. Um, now that being said, uh, the common man in his mind should be the equal of a rich man in politics. All right. He wanted a fair playing field, and like I said, the presidency is the office of the people. That is the doctrine, if you will, of the Jacksonian Democrats. So this is the household that William Jennings Bryan is brought up in. They venerate Andrew Jackson. And Stephen A. Douglas, all right? Uh, Brian moves from Illinois to, get this one, Kahuna, the fastest growing state in the union at that time. All right, what do you think that would be? Just random guess. In the union? Mm-hmm. The fastest growing state, where, where a boom's happening. Good, good things going on in this country. A place to be. Some exciting place happening. you want to move to to like the place everyone everyone's like oh we gotta go we gotta be there yeah if you're gonna leave Illinois that has Chicago and a couple other things here you're gonna move on to somewhere new and exciting where are you going Cones where do you think London England close uh, Nebraska <laughs> Nebraska <laughs> it's right. hip and happening right listen you can hear the corn grow <laughs> I read a brochure things are happening down there. <laughs> It's uh, Yeah, seriously, Springsteen's best album. But uh, other than that, not much going on in Nebraska here, but a huge population boom at the time. And uh, now William Jennings Bryan marries his wife, who is also an attorney, very rare for the time here, Mary Elizabeth Baird, who uh, proves to be integral to Bryan's famous speeches. All right, so pretty smart lady here. Um, and as Rich pointed out, not much of a looker. All right. Uh, She's a handsome woman. <laughs> She's like the Seuss Waldman of the 1880s. We, oh my. <laughs> we went from literally one of the most beautiful wives we talked about <laughs> right, in the right. last episode to now to a handsome. To a handsome She's a good oh. dancer. <laughs> uh, he met her as they were both trying out to be offensive linemen for the Jets. <laughs> um that being said here, man, uh, he marries her. Smart lady. All right. She's an attorney at the time, too. They move over to Nebraska. It's kind of this uh, this booming um, population, if you will. A lot of shit going on here. And you can get it on the ground floor of stuff. You know what I mean? So in Nebraska, you're expanding. These are territories uh, becoming states, things like that now. So there's opportunity, especially for a pretty smart, well-read guy like William Jennings Bryan, who is an interesting guy in his own right because uh, he is – they called him the boy order of the Platte later on in his career – Boy Orator is interesting because he gave his first public speech at age four. All right? <laughs> age four. The first uh, time I ever did what – I didn't know it was comedy yet, but I, uh, I wrote a speech for my grandparents for uh, their wedding anniversary, their 50th wedding anniversary. And I wrote jokes in there and I, I – I, it was funny and it was the most exciting thing ever. But I was in like fifth grade at that point. So I was almost – Three Ten. times as yeah, old, yeah, wow. almost three times as old as the boy orator. You're still playing catch up. It's uh, slowly but surely. <laughs> he had his first podcast at six. <laughs> there uh, there's parts where uh, where I come out ahead of William Jennings Bryan, and there's other parts where he leaves us all the dust, baby. Um, but uh, that being said, here uh, he is now uh, in 1890. He decides he's going to be elected to Congress for Nebraska. So he's now representing the state uh, of Nebraska. Not a whole lot of stuff going on down there, but he has this loose alignment with a group uh, known as the Bourbon Democrats. For longtime listeners of the show, our very first episode was about uh, New Jersey's president, uh, Grover Cleveland, all right, who was one of the – he was considered the archetype, if you will, for the Bourbon Democrats. They were conservative-leaning Democrats who didn't want to disaffect to the party and move to the Republican side. But they uh, believed in a lot of the fiscal conservatism and other stuff that they believed in. It's almost like you and I have talked about, Rich, where – there's a lot more Republicans in Jersey 
than they would have you believe. They just run as Democrats. Yeah, they have to run as, as what's going to get them elected. Yeah, I would never vote for a, a Republican. I mean, I'll vote for everything that they stand for, but it has to have a D in front of it. <laughs> I gotta be, I'm going to vote for whoever puts the word bourbon in front of them. Yeah, uh, sounds good to I'm me. I'm a fan. It's, uh, it's not bad here. The Maker's it's Mark Kentucky Democrats would come whiskey. later. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, uh, now, this group, the Bourbon Democrats here, Grover Cleveland was their, uh, their big guy here. Brian even campaigned for him. All right, so Brian was a big fan of his at first. Uh, now they start to differ here as times go on. Brian is deeply against Williams Jennings, Brian, who for the, uh, for the sake of brevity on the show, I think we're going to call him as my father gave him a good nickname, WJB. All right, so for brevity's sake, William Jennings Brian will now be known as WJB. And uh, old WJB is against the power of trusts, okay? He's not really big on it. Trusts being like a, an early form of uh, corporations, if you will, where there's three parties and um, there was an, a, a lack of accountability because you can't point the finger directly at somebody with a trust and lots of profit and revenue sharing. Okay, So he didn't like how strong these trusts were. And uh, he, had a, he had a mistrust of the trusts, Rich. Hey, oh, that <laughs> wow. guy knows what I'm talking about. Ooh, there it is. The Ooh. comedy arrives. Wow. <laughs> it runs deep here. Um, but he also had some wacky ideas about uh, uh, something known as bimetallism. Okay? And uh, bimetallism is where uh, you're attracted to both silver and gold. Um, that being said, he favored uh, the idea of free silver. Okay, Now, bimetallism was a huge fucking thing for the day. That was a, a, a major divide in the early ongoings of the Gilded Age of America, which is what we're talking about here. Um, now, free silver is what this guy, WJB, is all about. He's a uh, proponent of free silver and an opponent of the gold standard. Lawrence Burke, <laughs> what the fuck is the gold standard? Uh your bimetallism, you're really basing your currency on something that's hard and fast that has value. It's not just a, a speculative kind of a thing as to how well is the American dollar. It's backed by something that you could actually take gold and bring it to the mint. And here's a, here's a bag of gold. Turn this into gold coins. And they would be able to mint your gold into American currency of gold coins. And, of course, there'd be a, a slight percentage taken off of there for the shipping and handling and dealer prep or the or the vig whatever you want to call it okay. but um, there was a, a bit of that and it, the and congress would establish exactly how much gold it would take in order for them to mint a gold coin that you have hard currency in hand the same time with bimetallism you could also do the same thing with silver that it was already established as a how much silver it's going to take in order to create a silver piece, a silver dollar or a $10 silver piece or whatever. It's like those uh, home shopping network things or uh, on um, on old people TV. They'll play the commercials for uh, like a, a limited edition gold coin. Right. It's a $20 value that you're paying $34 right, for. from the uh, <laughs> whatever mint is uh, putting the thing out. Well, this would be a government mint. But in the same token, you could – have paper money. By the government mint, worst Girl Scout cookie flavor by far. <laughs> <laughs> but you could take paper currency and bring that to the bank, and they would give you uh, the the return in, in gold so that you could cash in paper money for hard coinage. Okay. So basically, as, as a common man trying to understand this, um, we're rolling with the gold standard, and then... WJB says, hey, we should use silver. It's not as cool. It's uh, <laughs> essentially yes, but at the same time, what it is is that free silver is going to be 
uh, something that the working man can use because it's uh, easier for them to get their hands on the silver. All of the gold at this time is largely owned by uh, a select group of people. It's kind of that 1% thing they're always talking about. So we're not on a gold standard yet. That comes in later into the story when we're actually placed on that. But they're trying to decide what are we going to back our currency on. Now, weird caveat to this. We are since removed from the gold standard, and we are now currently backed. The dollars in your pocket, Rich, are only backed by your confidence in said dollar. Okay? In so, my government. Yes. So if you lack faith you in go. that dollar, the dollar disappears. It's just like uh, back to the future. Okay? So if I didn't vote for my government, can I say that's not real money? Uh, essentially, yes. That's the crazy part, too, is that – and this was all done as a fuck you to France because France started backing their currency with precious metals deviating from the American standard of the gold standard. So They're uh, the worst. The more you dig in on the gold standard, the more confusing it gets. Yeah, well, a lot of this has to do with, also with international trade that you know, I want to buy something that's produced in England or Germany or Spain or France that what am I buying that with? Well, I'm buying it with American dollars. Well, what's the value of an American dollar? if it's not backed by something that's hard currency kind of a thing. So there's a lot of speculation going on here. And then uh, William Jennings Bryan, WJB, is at the time now, there's huge silver deposits that are found. So the value of silver is going to become inflated. So in other words, now all of a sudden we got a whole lot more silver than what we had before. So is it still worth the amount? It's supply and demand, basically. And then it goes back and forth throughout American history as to what's current. I mean, a lot of countries are going to recognize gold. That's valued around the world. Uh, silver as well, but not to the same extent. You're not going to be able to purchase the same amount of stuff with an ounce of gold as you would with an ounce of silver. And it was Congress that would set up that it was a 15 to 1 or 16 to 1 that would it would take 16 ounces of silver to equal one ounce of gold. And this all went you know back and forth, the ebb and flow of supply and demand as they find gold deposits in California, as they find silver deposits in Nevada, if they find gold deposits up in Alaska, all of this stuff goes back and forth. But Bryant really wanted to go with silver because that's going to help out the common guy because now I can, I can purchase more uh, dollars in silver than I could with gold type of a thing. It's, it's, uh, it's an economic freaking nightmare. It's like when uh, my buddy Tristan Madrero, who was uh, the guest earlier, Rich, he will go down to Atlantic City and tell you about how much money he was up and then tell you about uh, how much money he lost and then tell you again about how much money he's up. All right? So he's sitting there. He goes, yeah, but I, he lost $1,700. He goes, yeah, but that was house money. He <laughs> 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 not quite understand it. By the way, Kahuna, I want to plug something in here for you. We have a, a crazy right-hand turn, as we almost always do on this show. Uh, I want you to remember uh, ounces abbreviated is OZ. Okay? Okay. Ounces abbreviated as OZ. So that's the only thing here now. So we're moving on from this gold standard free silver thing. You don't have to truly understand the concept of it. You just have to know that William Jennings Bryan, WJB, all about free silver. And he's up now he's pretty much getting into fights with people about the gold standard. So not a big fan of it here. It's a Yankees-Mets rivalry, Rich. That's what I'm going to call it. So the Mets are the silver, I'm assuming, by your disdain. Uh, well, um, jerk. <laughs> I don't want to say it never works out for you guys, but we uh, won an '86. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make it Jets and Giants? Can that be more fair? It's, uh, it might be meaner. Um, that being said, here the uh, the Democrats at this time to try to give you the um, uh, the zeitgeist here. Um, the Democrats at the time are appealing to the working class voters, like my dad was saying, um, as opposed to Tammany Hall in New York City. All right, where Tammany Hall was, the, as we've covered in the the 
our very ambitious three-part uh, series. Three-part series. Oh, man. It was a... Uh, it's longer than The Godfather. Pretty much, man. Uh, Tammany <laughs> Hall. Is a, we, we went for a Lord of the Rings vibe on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, what happened with uh, Tammany Hall is that uh, they were the friend of the immigrant and everything like that. William Jennings Bryan is the friend of the farmer. Okay, so the, the people out there on a big spread or something like that, he wants the dirt farmers mm-hmm. uh, pretty much has their back. That's why he's known as the great commoner here. He was able to break down. Very eloquent guy too, well-spoken, uh, great speech and everything like that. But uh, the b- big thing with him was his appeal to uh, the common man. For now. So, yeah, people would sit there and be like, oh, he's not. You know, this guy's just he's, – he's almost one of us, all right? Yeah, whatever. Hey, he's a lawyer, a well-to-do lawyer. But no, nah, he kind of gets it. He could have a beer with this guy. So – um, Brian appealed to the farmers, as I was saying. Uh, now, the Republicans at the time are in a little bit of disarray here because uh, they are following the one-term presidency of Benjamin Harrison, who literally plops in there. Uh, Grover Cleveland is elected in the first episode we covered this. Uh, then, through uh, shady tactics, Benjamin Harrison unseats him. Benny. Then Grover Cleveland yeah. comes back in, all right, <laughs> yeah. this bourbon Democrat, and wins back. The, so he ran for uh, three times. He had to campaign for a job. He only got twice. But... Uh, so that's what the Republicans are dealing with all that shit right now. They don't really have a leader because Benjamin Harrison, kind of a dud of a president. And, um, so He's now, the worst. Oddly, the Republicans get away – the Republican Party this time gets away unscathed because um, Harrison is blamed for a lot of the policies. Uh, in truth, he should be blamed for a lot of the policies that lead to a thing known as the Panic of 1893. When was that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, you, you got to get more details. <laughs> pretty much, man. Grover Cleveland uh, here is uh, now blamed for this. So he's out of office for four years, wins his presidency back, and then gets blamed for the shit the other guy did. During right. his four years that he uh-huh. wasn't there. That's, that's politics, though. Always blame your predecessor as oh, to man. the evil that's going on presently. <laughs> wow, we never see that now. <laughs> no, right? no, 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 no. <laughs> never seen anything. No. Like We're well, still blaming the first Bush. That's it. A- <laughs> 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 um, yeah, well, he's up on him, though, because now that he's dead, we can say, well, he really wasn't that bad of a guy. Yeah, now we well, like him. That's how you have yeah. to cover it up. Don't say anything nice while I can hear you. Right. That's always how they operate. Um, the Panic of 1893, I know you have a little bit of info on that here for you, uh, SLP, but um, it did cause a, a major setback for the Democrats under Grover Cleveland and these bourbon Democrats. Um, he had filled his entire cabinet with bourbon Democrats, a cabinet full of bourbon, Rich. Ah, wow. I got a few of them in my house. There you go. <laughs> but, Might uh, be empty bottles, but the cabinet is there and the bottles are there. That is true. Well, now, the, uh, well, now I hide them in different spots of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise yourself. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. It's, uh, yeah, uh, it's like my uh, my cousin Greg. He has, um, uh, he has a, a case of beer hidden behind a, a milk crate full of Quaker State oil. So nobody will ever find it down there. The Panic of 1893, LP, uh, they say it's bad. How bad was it? Uh, it was really bad. Um, really, it was a, a huge uh, depression. A lot of people were thrown out of work. Um, again, now Grover Cleveland gets takes the blame for it. But you know, the first clear signs of this panic taking place really started 12 days before Grover Cleveland ever took office. So, <laughs> again, you know, is, is he truly the, the guy to uh, – to take the blame on this. Timing um, is everything. But he's blamed for this depression. Uh, at, uh, and he, in turn, blamed the uh, Sherman Silver Purchase Act. Uh, and the gold reserves stored in the Treasury fell to a dangerously low level. And then this forced uh, President Cleveland to borrow $65 million in gold from Wall Street 
a banker by the name. You might have heard this guy before, J.P. Morgan. He, he had a few dollars that J.P. Morgan is actually loaning the federal government um, $65 million just to just to tide them over kind of a thing. But a lot, a lot of people are, are put out of work uh, looking for jobs. It, it, was, it was a definite hurt to the American economy. This wasn't just a, a little ripple up and down. This was uh, some serious stuff. Price, uh, price stocks, uh, the stock of price declined. Unemployment rate was at all-time levels. Uh, I think you said 25% in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So one in every four people is not... Right. Ever. Unemployment rate in Pennsylvania is at uh, uh, 25%, 35% in New York, 43% in Michigan. I mean, you know, 43%, that's pretty much every other person is is out of work. That, well, uh, that's some pretty big Rich's house, shit. it's a 75% unemployment rate. That's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that being said, man, people are hurting. All you have to do is get – if you're the one holding – it's almost like a game of hot potato. You know what I mean? You're sitting there. You get called. Then the timer goes off. Boom, you're it. You're done. All right? Grover Cleveland and the bourbon Democrats at large pretty much get decimated by this. They lose popularity immediately. Cleveland is fondly remembered later on in life. After you get that 20, 30 years of distance between them, you can realize, eh, maybe we fucked this guy over. But they pretty much were um, singing a song and a dance when he got out of office. Um, the Panic of 1893 pretty much was his undoing here. Um, now, he has to have a special session of Congress, okay, where he calls everybody in in order to get uh, those loans you were talking about from uh, J.P. Morgan. And the big thing they wanted to do, they had to repeal a thing known as the Sherman Silver Purchase Act. Uh, Rich, you work in government. Sure. It's the most effective thing, right? Oh, everything always works smoothly. <laughs> That's um, right. Very all, timely, too. Yeah. Typically. <laughs> yeah, all plans go through very swiftly, uh, efficiently. There's never any kind of lost time or money. Well, never uh, any shutdowns, nothing. No, <laughs> no. And if those not listening to us because you're currently on a uh, sabbatical from your government work, we apologize. That's <laughs> yeah, Timothy Matthew Rich, my buddy over in the U.S. Navy, he is, uh, he's floating out in a tin can somewhere in the ocean right now listening to us and not being paid for it. Um, that being said, though, there's this thing known as the Sherman Silver Purchase Act, which requires a certain amount of silver be bought by the government every month. All right, mm. So they go ahead. They, they're getting pissed off about all this thing. Um, William Jennings Bryan, WJB, all about this, wants, fights the repeal of it. Grover Cleveland is like, no, we got to get rid of this. And we have to – You know, they're trying to uh, balance the checkbook here and they think that this free silver thing is a waste. Grover Cleveland was a gold standard guy through and through. Now the Sherman Silver Purchase Act gets repealed. Brian fights it tooth and nail. He's furious. But what do they do? Classic, you know, freaking mafioso government type thing. They pull him aside and they say, hey, man, you're not getting this act. But we will let you slide through something else you do want. And William Jennings Bryan, thank you so much, sir. It is great. We are so proud of you and thankful and grateful for the first ever peacetime federal income tax. Thank you, William Jennings Bryan. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> so we don't like that part of them. <clears throat> At all. You like paying income tax. No, not so much. <laughs> well, not so much. They're weird, too, because you're a government employee, so the government has to give you money that they then take back so they can spend it on paying you again. Would you say he's the first tax and spend guy? <laughs> that just hurt my brain. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, that's what we're – now, we've, we've unpacked all this shit here now, so we can just get into the story, the personal heart of the matter for old WJB. But we had to break down that part here. Um Brian's party is losing elections, but they're losing them. The Democrats here are losing them in a cleansing way. You're getting rid of the bourbon guys, and you're moving into this more progressive idea of the Democratic Party. 
which is something that WJB is all about. He is the standard bearer for the progressive movement within the Democratic Party. So would you say economically he's far left? Uh, he is uh, – As far left as you can go at that time you think? He is labeled by the people that he uh, that hate him as a far left socialist demagogue. I've called many people that. <laughs> the guy I bought coffee from this morning, I called the same thing. Well, it's funny too because um, he is—he's uh, considered—he's painted as far left, but there's a guy farther left of him that is a contemporary of his. We're going to get into that runs against him for president. Jesus, but the, the it's a different. Game. Can you go the further left than left? It's, uh, it's where pretty, does left end? Well, that's why the politics thing is so interesting. Is everybody? If you go far back enough, you're going to wind up on the other side of the aisle. You know what I mean? It's a circle. Yeah. So, um, Brian's party, like I said, is losing these elections, but in a cleansing way. So now his ideas are becoming the brand behind the Democratic Party, and his name's becoming a brand in and of itself because the guy is this magnificent public speaker. He's able to talk to people and relate to them in a great way. There are some people that uh, draw up a comparison to him with uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, whose nickname was the Great Communicator. Um, and then other people have talked about um, his uh, – we're literally going to get into stuff that he has done in running for office that is uh, – Still to this day, time-honored traditions. I mean, he invented a lot of the campaigning efforts. Mm -hmm. So, but like we said, old WJB, uh, he's now got the Democratic Party in favor of Free Silver nearly sixteen to one. All right, so that whole gold standard Democrat thing—they're not really in there anymore. And Brian delivers this famous speech, one of the greatest speeches in American history, known as the Cross of Gold speech, and he uh, delivered it to such a rousing ovation. Uh, that he was on his way to almost guaranteeing that he had secured the nomination for the Democratic Party as their candidate for the election of 1896. No, he right. definitely had the gift of gab. I mean, he could he could fire up the fire up the troops, if you will, just by his speechifying. And it, there's a large part of the population that is, is standing behind him. I mean, a lot of the Western states were looking for this free silver thing because where where are the mines located in a lot of the western states the wheat farmers or the western midwest they're all about that too because free silver would allow them to pay off some of their debts with uh, um, deflated or inflated dollars and um, the cotton belt the deep south a huge uh, WJB uh, section of the country because they're all about the, the same thing with the free silver and uh, sharing a lot of the same values that uh, William Jennings Bryan had. So as loved on the plains as he is, he's hated in major cities and any sort of industrial area. Yeah, in the Northeast, They're not, big not so much. No. Not so much. Which is funny because it's, uh, it's almost that way now, you know, where the New Yorkers think of the rest of the country as flyover country. You know what I mean? So there's a way of looking down on them here. So the Democrats are backing the guy who's uh, promoting stuff for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. All yeah. right. I'm just playing catch up. Go ahead. It's, uh, <laughs> free silver, free cell phones. What are you going to do, Rich? <laughs> but uh, interesting here. One of the lines from his speech that got this rousing ovation started was, you shall not crucify mankind on your cross of gold. All right. So he's got everybody who's into free silver. It's that that fuck you 1% thing. Oh, you know, you guys all have everything. We need a little something down here, man. That's the angle they're going for. And it's uh, it's very popular for them. Um, now, that being said, uh, he's going to go ahead and run for office here in 1896 to counter Brian, who is hated and loathed in the North and by big business. The Republicans are going to run a smart money man because you just had the panic of 1893. Three years later here, it's a presidential election. Let's get Cleveland the fuck out of here. If you're going to run, it's almost like um, uh, there was a great sketch that they did of John McCain uh, getting um, endorsed that. by George W. Bush. 
And the guy playing McCain is just like, ah, okay, George, it's fine. Um, doing okay over here. We don't. And Bush is, you know, it's Will Ferrell as Bush putting, you know, slapping him on the shoulder, like, ah, it's a great guy right here, just like me, man, just like me. <laughs> so, <clears throat> that being said, uh, you want to distance yourself from the Bourbon Democrats, and uh, so there, you can't distance yourself further from a gold standard Democrat than this fucking wild free silver shit coming out of WJB's free. mouth. It's free, guys. <laughs> so the Republicans go ahead and they run a, a, a sound money man. And an all-around bore of a human being, <laughs> uh, governor of Ohio, uh, William McKinley. Okay, uh, McKinley, by the way, which is hilarious. You're going to run him as a smart money man to get you out of the Panic of 1893. But it was the McKinley tariff that is partly responsible for the Panic of 1893, which was a protectionism thing. So McKinley passed this bill. You found this last night, Dad. Yeah, McKinley was uh, certainly put into place by big business. And all these tariffs and everything else that McKinley was responsible. Now, McKinley wasn't president at the time. He was uh, governor of Ohio. Governor of Ohio, but then he was also, I believe, a congressman too that promoted this McKinley tariff bill. That uh, you know, he's one of the guys, one of the key players in, in making that come about. And McKinley was put into office by big business, mm -hmm. uh, the big money people, the banks, uh, J.P. Morgan and, and, the, and that type of a crowd, Rockefeller, um, you know, as I say, the big business. And it wasn't the little man's, uh, the little man's uh, candidate, that's for sure. It's like when Jerry Reese, the general manager for the Giants, uh, when he criticized uh, Odell Beckham Jr., and you're like, didn't you fucking draft him? Yeah. Didn't you just <laughs> give him $180 million? Yeah, It's yeah. your fault, man. Um, but yeah, but correct me if I'm wrong, I can actually... I remember reading about the, the meetings that McKinley would have where, like, he was answering to these big businessmen. Like, he would go oh, to New York. Right. He, he was, was bought and paid for. Yeah, to see what those yeah. guys wanted him to do. This was uh, – I always picture the uh, the cigar smoke-filled room and you're being brought into, uh, you know, uh, this stunning little, uh, you know, uh, 1800s, early 1900s uh, back room uh, where J.P. Morgan, mm -hmm. uh, John D. Rockefeller, and Andrew Carnegie – are all going to sit there and pretty much they ran this guy for president. Yes. All right. Now it comes out in spades here. Now this is all done because of their fear of William Jennings Bryan. So it's that this guy could uh, he could start. He's a little bit of a rabble rouser. So maybe profits aren't going to come in quite like they were here. So. Um, well, no, he's against like you said mistrust of trust and everything that they're building. Oh, he yeah. wants to tear down. No, he's totally against. You don't want that, that guy there. No. No, absolutely. Um, now that being said, we. Uh, these, you know, that's, that's pretty big names here. Morgan Rockefeller and Carnegie are going to go ahead and run this guy. Um, and that Cross of Gold speech is the first time we were like, hey, we might want to put our grievances aside for a minute here and try to stand up against this shit because uh, I think this guy's about to fuck up everything we've built. So he's literally dropping them by name, saying that he's going to come for Carnegie. He's going to come for Rockefeller. Morgan kind of had his way out because Morgan was also bankrolling the United States at this point. <laughs> right. Morgan's really a fucking genius, man. I, I, the more you read about him, the more you admire him. But uh, they go ahead and uh, this cross a gold speech gets them all fired up. And they said, we're going to run boring governor of Ohio, William McKinley, who, like you said, Rich, just took his marching orders. Yeah. That's all it was. Um, he goes ahead and he actually runs uh, – they outspend him on the campaign. When you're backed by big money like that, four to one, he outspent William Jennings Bryan. And McKinley, is, uh, he actually runs a front porch campaign, which means he campaigned out of his house. All right, we talked about uh, Warren G. Harding was able to do that and stuff. Uh, and then Grover Cleveland actually did it for his second election. So this was somewhat common for the time. But meanwhile, William Jennings Bryan is out there. He literally hits... Um, I believe it was uh, 27 states and speaks to an audience of uh, over 5 million 
all right, people in total, and uh, would routinely speak in public for about four hours every day. Yeah, and this is not radio broadcasts or, or right. uh, TV broadcasts. This is actually getting in somebody's face and, and speaking to it, the, the audience uh-huh. live. Uh, and he's doing this day after day after day. And, and he's a master. Uh, yeah, I read order, one where he hit three states in one day. Yeah. So he was just – he was taking advantage of the trains and well, bing, bang, bang. He on a podcast tour. Yeah, essentially he was on a tour. Um, and that is literally known as a stumping tour, right? yeah. which to this day is being done. Um, people who would point to just because he's the most recent president here, Donald Trump, uh, with the use of his plane. I mean, he would land. There'd be three, sometimes four rallies a day that you would just sit there and you'd watch. The plane would land. This is how ridiculous. <clears throat> the plane would land in Wisconsin. He would get off the plane, walk up to the podium, speak for an hour, then just have some band come on and play like Freebird or something. <laughs> then he'd get back up in the plane and go to Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I mean, he was bouncing around. This is all stuff that's done. Um, I mean, William Jennings Bryan pretty much created the stumping tour on this one, which is fascinating. So he, he almost redefined American politics in terms of campaigning. Well, he had to. He Not was being outspent uh, four to one. So if the only right. thing you got, you got to play, um, you know, play to your strengths. Your strength is, uh, you know, public speaking. Well, let's get you the fuck out there as often as possible. <laughs> right. You're going to be speechify like you've never speechified oh, before. Yeah. Seems a, like the dusty roads of his time. Essentially, yeah, Common. that's a great public. <laughs> um, the other uh, thing I would run it, uh, liken it to also is that if um, if you can uh, run the ball, that's all they can do. They don't have a wide receiver. You just have to run the ball. So they're going to play this shit nonstop here. Uh, Brian is appealing to uh, the farmers who absolutely love him. Uh, the Democrats label McKinley as the puppet president of the capitalists, and the Republicans return by labeling William Jennings Bryan as a far-left socialist demagogue, to answer your question from earlier, Rich. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. I mean, it's, it's half right. Uh, isn't it funny? They're both kind of right, too. It's, it's You just find the moderate ground on the middle of here. Um, you could actually see why these two guys could – I would find it hilarious if it was the old school elections because before um, they, uh, they reclassified everything. Um, it would be hilarious if the old school original founding fathers method of first place gets president, second place gets vice president, mm-hmm. which was Washington versus John Adams, the two of them working together. I think it would be absolutely hilarious if you had William Jennings Bryan and McKinley trying to you know, get along and coexist. And you could see how they could do it. It would be interesting to see uh, what concessions which one would make. Um, yeah, but it's just – I mean the, the extremities of the two parties at that time, I mean you still see it today of course. But the fact that you got you know the money on one side and the country just went through where almost a third of the country was unemployed and yep. you got starving farmers and you know which side are they obviously going to lean on? Whoever's going to promise them. And it's funny too because um, the uh, uh, William Jennings Bryan should be studied by more people for his ability to reach out and then find his base and appeal to it. He did. Um, that's why he's one of the. He's actually considered to be. That's why I was so ready to do this podcast on him. He is one of the four most important politicians uh, to never be president. Okay, so he's literally the Mount Rushmore of nobodies. All right. <laughs> so, which is uh, the other guy who would be on there too, by the way, uh, John C. Calhoun. People don't really know much about, and then the other one was uh, uh, Alexander Hamilton, which I think he may have a Broadway play about him at this point. Yeah, there you go. People have heard of him. That's a- <laughs> people have definitely heard of him. So uh, they go eighty percent of people look. think he was a president yeah. if they haven't seen the play. Look he, in your wallet; you, <laughs> might, yeah. you might see his picture. <laughs> and Ben Franklin, who everyone thinks is a president. Ben Franklin was yeah. a president as well. <laughs> yep. No, that's always the uh, the good trivia on that stuff, man. Um, now, Brian, like I said, he does appeal to the farmers, but is loathed by the city workers who didn't see how a Brian presidency would benefit them or their families. Okay, so he loses the election, 
but not the faith of his party. Okay, the party's like, hey, this is the right guy. We didn't get him this time, but we're going to stick to our guns. We got Keep this. Hammering. We got a chance here. So they go ahead and um, he uh, moves on. He is pretty much given firm control of the Democratic Party. He's the guy. All right, you want to talk to the Democrats? You got to talk to William Jennings Bryan. He's got shit pretty much in his uh, you know, within his grip at all times. Um, he's pretty much guaranteed that he's going to run again in four years. So just have to figure out what to do to reinforce your base and spread this progressive message to try to get out to the people here so they can realize that William Jennings Bryan is the right man for the job, not that puppet, that puppet William McKinley. He's the worst. So, what like a it, muppet. <laughs> the uh, Populist Party, um, which actually uh, brought forth um, – it, it was a kind of a split vote on that. Uh, they liked um, William Jennings Bryan, but they ran their own candidate. Uh, he actually, uh, because of that populist party, it dissipated after that election. They never really got where they needed to go. It was almost like Ross Perot didn't win the election, but he split the votes enough from George H.W. Uh, uh, Bush that mm -hmm. Clinton was able to win the election. So that's kind of what the, those guys did here, which hurt their cause. So now you have a chance to appeal to those guys. You can bring the populist progressive party, the, the people's party, if you will. You can bring those guys under the umbrella of William Jennings Bryan's Democrats. Or if you're so fucking far left that you have to go hang out with Eugene Debs, who's literally running on the socialist platform. You can't call him a socialist when his party's called the Socialist Party. Mm. You know? It's like, oh, uh, I can't. Can you believe? Can you believe Ronald Reagan? Huh. That Republican? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it's kind of his thing. <laughs> He's already admitted it. <laughs> it's, it's on the signs. It's on the signs. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's a... Uh, you believe that Larry? He's a, some sort of a cable guy? <laughs> but... Anyway, uh, they go ahead and they bring him in. But this Eugene Debs guy is running as an actual socialist. Eugene Debs, by the way, interesting footnote, runs for president from prison. All right? And is able to attract about 20,000 votes. Um, in 1900s now, uh, 1900 election, McKinley uh, – uh, it's not – sorry, it's not election year yet. McKinley in 1900 places America onto the gold standard. So that's where it finally happens. We are on the oh. gold standard until Richard Nixon removes us. So uh, a knockout victory. By putting us on the gold standard against free silver. So, so McKinley won. wins. Wall Street wins. Gold standard goes through. Oh, yeah. And, uh, as and this expected, is the late 1890s. As expected, complete decimation of the middle class and working class. Oh, it definitely wasn't you know, one of the biggest booms in you know, American history. It's the Gilded Age, baby. Right. All right? So shit's working. Shit's corrupt. But just like Tammany Hall proved, corruption works sometimes. So – uh, now, they go ahead and uh, this free silver thing gets its death blow uh, in a sense. Brian remains the most popular man in the Democratic Party and is assured he's going to get the nomination again. Uh, during McKinley's presidency, the tension with Spain, as egged on in an earlier episode by Mr. Dan Sickles, who was banging the deposed Queen Isabella and then writing these letters back to America saying, oh, Spain's talking shit about us. We should fight them. <laughs> um, now, finally, it reaches the point of becoming the Spanish-American War. This is where it gets interesting. Before this, William Jennings Bryan does not have an opponent, if you will, that can really stand up to him. McKinley, uh, one of the reasons he was on that front porch campaign is because he could not – he was not a good public speaker. He was a fucking boring dude. Right. So you can't – it's going to contrast too much. It's like uh, when uh, Kennedy versus Nixon on national television. Nixon starts sweating like crazy, and JFK is just sitting there cool like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I just got done banging Marilyn Monroe. What do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so because of that, that actually jumped – even people who agreed with Nixon and his policies jumped onto JFK because he just looked like a more relatable guy. This guy's cool. He's got something going on here. He's man. a leader. If you put uh, McKinley up against uh, William Jennings Bryant, 
William Jennings Bryan is going to beat the shit out of him in every possible debate you could have. I mean, there's just no contest here. So they run this very quiet front porch campaign, and the Republicans don't have a star to really counter the star power of William Jennings Bryan. So now, uh, even though he's against militarism, he's wary of it. He doesn't want um, the idea. Uh, he's concerned about having a warlike state, William Jennings Bryan. But he's also a patriot. So he goes ahead and he, uh, he rouses up uh, 2,000 Nebraska men for a contingent to uh, bring those men over to Cuba to fight in the Spanish-American War. So he was against militarism, but he thought that a free and independent Cuba would be good for the world. What's that thing about good intentions, Rich? Yeah, they don't always work yeah, out. Yeah, you always have good intentions. I was like, yeah, no, it's great. We'll get the house now, and then when we're married, we already have a place to live. How'd that one work out? That worked out. <laughs> Yeah, not so much. I can't uh, wait till we do an episode on you, KP. It's, uh, <laughs> American loser. Uh, uh, eventually, we will have to do some sort of a uh, the cover uh, child of American loser, Mr. KP. Some sort of you know what? I and then he moved to Florida. <laughs> Poster child. Oh man! Then he started a podcast. It's a uh, around this time he still thought he was going to be a cop. So. <laughs> Um, but that being said, uh, now William Jennings Bryan uh, brings the boys over. He's ready to get some stuff going, man. He's going to fight for uh, uh, Americans' positive influence overseas and the liberation of Cuba from cruel empire of Spain that uh, he detested their imperialism. Gets over there ready to fight with these tough Nebraska men, ready to prove their merit. They actually vote on him being their leader. He could have just taken the job. You know what I mean? He could have been like, oh, by the way, I'm in charge. He gets well, voted. Well, it's a democratic way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Vote your leaders. Well, he gets uh, gets elected here, man, as their leader, if you will, and he gets these boys over there. They get down to Florida. They get stationed over there. They're on their way over to Cuba. Finally, let's get a chance to get some dirt going here, man. William James Bryan's about to make a name for himself. He has no real rival in America. Only problem is by the time he arrives in Cuba, the war is largely over. All right? The fighting's done. Yeah. There's and another the, guy that kind and of took care of things. And the, the ass-whooping uh, that Spain received at the hands of uh, – I mean, I, I gush over him when we talk about him. I love this guy so much. <laughs> Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, T.R. Still my favorite to this uh, day. He yep. really is, man. And uh, we covered him in the history of boxing. We covered him uh, almost every episode because it, the, the mantra for the show is simple. Don't fuck with TR. Yeah. yeah. Do not fuck with right. Teddy Roosevelt. It's like, oh, come on. I can't run against that guy. It is essentially, uh, I mean, he's almost Hulkamania of America. You know what I mean? Yeah. He is the Hulk Hogan where you just you can sit there and just picture him just waving his finger in your face like, oh, my God, Andre the Giant's about to go up in the air. This is bad. <laughs> so you get over there. Teddy Roosevelt is already uh, a well-known guy. All right. He was the assistant secretary of the Navy during his time. Uh, he, I believe he resigned his commission. To then go over into the war that he had kind of helped egg Formed on. Formed the Rough bit. Riders and everything else. Mm -hmm. to, oh, yeah. uh, go kick the shit out of those imperialist Spains. Although, he was, uh, yeah. Yeah, he liked to have the trumpet play. He liked to loudly, mix it up, that's for sure. But he was not afraid. He was looking for the fight yeah. his whole life, man. That's, he's a guy who, who was a, uh, a little bit of a dandy growing up, you know, the, the wealthy Roosevelt family in uh, New York. Uh, I believe also of Knickerbocker descent. Uh, there was some Dutch in there. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, he was sick as a kid. Very sickly so as a kid. So he always had to, wanted to prove that. And uh, and what, he, what does he do? He goes ahead and he has a full-on uh, crisis and uh, starts exercising and being an outdoorsman, taking pictures of himself in a, a coonskin cap with a rifle so that everybody can think he's this great Indian fighter, but really he's from the Upper East Side. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But uh, in order to prove it, because, I mean, that, there's almost a level of psychosis with that. Um, and we see it with comics all the time. 
But uh, this They're guy, all psychotic. yeah, this guy has to prove that he's actually as bad of a motherfucker as he wants to be. So there's almost this, this crazy uh, machismo coming off of him, and he's essentially won um, the uh, the Spanish American War, big part of it, Battle of San Juan Hill. He's a celebrity. He comes back home um, now. He's a national celebrity at this point. Coming home from from uh, the war in Cuba, uh, he he is it. He is the guy. If he if this was in a modern sense, he'd be coming back and uh, having his pick of the Kardashians to date, essentially. <laughs> so um, he'd be like, "I'll take all three. <laughs> and now he's trying to uh, get some shit going, stirring some stirring the pot in New York politics, mm-hmm. and then go. Well, I don't know if you're going to. No, he's, he's it, gaining the talk about. It. No, I was just going to say that uh, he's he's stirring the pot. He's stirring up some shit and, and making stuff happen. And then big money d- decides that hey, this guy is a pain in the ass. We got to calm him down a little bit. So um, they still want McKinley because you know the the Old puppeteer. Is, yeah, easy. Yeah, he's, he's still the boy. puppet. He can, we can pull the strings on McKinley, um, but we would also like to. Uh, take advantage of the popularity of, uh, of TR and get him out of New York politics where he can actually do us some harm and maybe we we promote him and promote him to a position that he's not going to have as much of an influence on uh, the shit that we want to happen and so they make him they put him up for the VP uh, nomination thinking that uh, vice president is really not going to have that much uh, much to do, and he can't create too much problems with uh, the VP position. They called it yeah. kicking him upstairs. Yep. That's what they thought. Use his popularity, but don't give him the power. Right. Yeah. It was uh, hilarious too because it almost reminds me of my buddy Andy. Uh, Andy and his wife adopted a dog named uh, Harley. Right. It was an adoption, not straight birth. It's a. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they got the dog Harley, and the dog doesn't bark, just chills out. The calmest dog you've ever seen in your life. And you're like, oh my god, having a dog is easy. Let's get another one. So they get a uh, Cruz, their second dog. Um, now, if Harley is the quiet dog that uh, never raises, you know, any issues, or anything like that, you almost forget you don't, you know, you have a dog. That's how easy this dog is to get along with. Um, it's a good girl, you know what I mean? She listens good. Uh, Cruz answers the question: How much drywall can a dog eat before he vomits? <laughs> so uh, yeah, the polar opposite. <laughs> That's what uh, essentially what you're getting with TR now, who they go ahead and they kick upstairs here. But this is important, by the way. The uh, Spanish-American War ends with the Treaty of Paris, okay? And William Jennings Bryan is like, guys, we got to ratify this shit. We're going to free Cuba. If Cuba's going to be free. This is good for the world. People should be in control of themselves. You know what I mean? He is staunch anti-imperialism. And there's a little tiny caveat in the uh, treaty that says, uh, yeah, Cuba's free. Uh, Spain's going to relinquish control. You beat the shit out of us. Good for America. Great, great, great. Um, also, America's in charge of the Philippines. And William Jennings Bryan hears that and goes, what the fuck did I just ratify? Yeah. All right. He's furious, man. Uh, he is completely against this idea of imperialism. He points to every other empire where it failed in the past. He thinks it's a huge, tragic mistake. And th- to this day, we're not really sure he was wrong. It's hard to argue it. You know, yeah. when you look back and be like, well, maybe we shouldn't try to take over the world. Well, there was uh, – the idea was that the Filipinos were such savages that uh, America was going to civilize them and bring them into the fold. Yeah, so how'd that work out? It was an idea of uh, benevolence. <laughs> um, and uh, as every man in the Navy knows, Filipinos love America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I had to make that point. Um, yeah, but that being said, man – They just uh, want your Filipino uh, audience. Yeah. Um, they uh, – well, it, you want to attract a Filipino fan base, but then it rains and you lose them all. Um <laughs> Wow. 
Sorry. Oh, Jeez, oh, God, this is, wow. Um, can we rewind? <laughs> so, you're getting muted. That's <laughs> you're out. You're you know fired. I, you know I've show. dated Filipino women, right? It's a, I'm a rich. I didn't, I didn't know. I just assumed. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so he goes ahead and he, he slides a thing in there. Him and Roosevelt cannot agree at all. WJB versus TR, that's the feud right now. That's the Democrats versus the Republicans here. And, uh, Hardcore. Embarrassing, embarrassing defeat for William Jennings Bryan. Uh, who delivers 600 speeches in 24 states, but cannot counter the war celebrity popularity of the new vice president, Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. So McKinley defeats him again in a rematch. Okay. Um, now, what's pretty fascinating so it's here like too, Gore versus Bush. Essentially, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, the reason why the vice presidency position opened up was because uh, Vice President Hobart uh, had died in office. By the way, Vice President Hobart. From New Jersey. There's your tie-in, baby. There you go. All right. Wow, all right. So, well, we got more coming. Jersey owned. Uh, there's a couple. Yeah, you're right. He died, but... <laughs> uh, moving <laughs> forward. <laughs> um, you want to talk about an embarrassing defeat. Um, McKinley even wins WJB's homestead. Uh, <laughs> so not going good for him here. But William Jennings Bryan is now a uh, member in the 1900s of a, a pretty interesting group known as the American Anti-Imperial League. Okay, so this idea of America as an empire, not popular. Okay, popular enough that it happens and profitable enough that we force it to happen, but uh, also not a, a big idea here. Was um, it a precursor to the Justice League? Uh, essentially, yes, uh, but with better quality directing. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's a comic book joke. I don't know shit about this. Um, that, sure. that being said, uh, the American Anti-Imperialist League includes a couple of uh, uh, pretty big names here. Uh, Andrew Carnegie is now a member of this group. That's right. A man who helped fund McKinley is now a member of the Anti-Imperialist League who does not believe in what uh, – you know, moving overseas and taking over people here. Uh, another interesting mm. guy. You want to talk about having a good celebrity on your cause. Mark Twain. Mark Twain is a member of the Anti-Imperialist League. By the way, Mark Twain is a mugwump, okay, which are Democrats oh. that enjoy Republican politics, okay? Yeah, but he was always a lib. Mark Twain? Samuel Clemens. <laughs> um yeah, he was out there, but like Carnegie, brother, you saw a shift in him towards the end where he became where he wanted to give his money back to the world. Right. Oh, he uh, lost the will to fight. He uh, he get, made more money than Rockefeller, and then yeah. just gave it all away. He gave it all away. Now we have one library, and that's it. <laughs> this guy brought steel to the entire world. We got a musical in New York too. <laughs> Carnegie it, uh, Hall. It is funny though that that was the um, uh, the feud between Rockefeller and Carnegie. Uh, eventually, in the end, is. Uh, who can make the most money and then who can give the most of it away. So interesting deal on that one. Um, now, that being said here, uh, that Anti-Imperialist League, it's pretty popular. But uh, on September 6th, 1901, President McKinley is shot and killed, assassinated by an anarchist. I am not giving his name because he will be an episode of this show down the road. Um, if his intention, the assassin's intention was to disrupt America and bring about anarchy and chaos in hopes that we wouldn't continue to grow and prosper. He, like many others, has underestimated Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. <laughs> All right? Don't fuck with TR. The man who got yeah. kicked upstairs so that he couldn't cause any problems for the trusts is now the president of the United, United States. States. Who thinks I'll get rid of McKinley and things will get better? <laughs> yeah. Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, man. you got to count him. TR immediately begins to attack the trusts. He's known as the Trust Buster. That literally mm -hmm. is one of his nicknames. I like to picture him with a proton pack on and hanging out with Venkman. Um, 
But uh, TR begins to you attack the trust. You threw that one in for me. I saw uh, that. Always, brother. He was Vankman. <laughs> he was Vankman. <laughs> uh, it's uh, TR attacks the trust and begins to dismantle the corruption that William Jennings Bryan had been railing against for years. TR even borrowed ideas from William Jennings Bryan, which agitated the ever-loving shit out of him. Right. William Jennings Bryan had to distance himself by saying, well, I mean, sure, he's doing my ideas, but he's not like fully embracing my ideas. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and in 1901, now in the next election is 1904, so TR's got three years of uh, kicking ass. Um, so who are the Democrats going to run against this really now, the guy that was um, fulfilling the, the needs and wants of, of the common man kind of a thing with going against these various trusts? Now, the structure changes after FDR, but I believe uh, Teddy was well within his legal rights to uh, – be the president for those three years, then run, and then run again if he so chose. He did not choose to uh, go for um, re-election the second time up, thinking that he kind of served his time, thought he had stuff in place here. Um, it's very interesting, too, because uh, TR is now using a lot of these progressive ideas. So the Republicans are like, TR is a little too far left right now for us. What's going on over here? And the, um, the progressives are saying, well, he's not far left enough. <laughs> so it's that moderate thing we keep talking about where a little bit of this and a little bit of that, we can all get where we got to go. But in uh, the Democrats of the day try to uh, return because they realize that they were, you know, this reformer message is working. It's resonating with people. TR has created this whole image for himself. He is uh, incorruptible. He's big businesses bending over and taking it up the poop hole on account of TR. All right. So uh, the Democrats then start to try to pry power away from WJB saying, hey, man, uh, you know, your stuff works, but you know, remember, remember Grover Cleveland? Remember when we were winning stuff? That was good, man. I liked it. It's like uh, how every Giants fan is dying for Tom Coughlin right now, uh, but they all wanted him fired like a year before he won the second Super Bowl. So, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, I suppose. Sure. They attempt to return to that bourbon and uh, Democrat way of doing things. doesn't really go well. They get the ever-loving shit kicked out of them because <laughs> TR is too fucking popular, man. Yeah. He uh, dominates that election. But Brian isn't running against TR in 1904. No. He is not allowed to. Yeah, the, 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 party, the Democratic Party decides to put somebody else up rather than uh, um, uh, William Jennings. Well, they label a lot of uh, Brian's ideas as extremism. So they wanted to distance themselves from that. And the result was the resounding defeat of the Democrats by the popular TR who remained in power, proving yet again, don't, don't fuck, fuck with, with TR. TR. So no one's going to beat him. It nope. doesn't matter who they put up. Well, uh, now it's uh, – you can't beat him, but uh, now he's – you're not running against TR, but you're going to run against his right-hand man, the man he has tapped as his successor. So kind of like um, you've tapped uh, – for those who are uh, friends of the show, um, Rich has tapped Kevin Garifo as the next Prince of West Orange. He's the Prince of West Orange. He's taken over once I retire. I hear you. And uh, when you retire, it's going to be interesting too, man. <laughs> it's going to be a vacuum of power. Um, the king is dead. Long live. <laughs> <laughs> well, in uh, 1908, Brian runs for president one final time. All right, so this is the third time that the Democrats are saying, you're our guy, you got it. Okay, get out there and win it. And Brian runs against TR's hand-picked successor, former Secretary of War, William Howard Taft. Okay. Big Bill Taft. Big Bill Taft. And uh, fascinating guy uh, in his own right. However, um, he is the hand-picked successor of TR. And he promises that he's just going to – he's coasting off the popularity of TR. Hey, you guys like things? Yeah, I'm going to keep them the same way. Vote like for me. The first Bush. Exactly. <laughs> you guys still love Dragon, right? Hey. I'm, I'm him. 
So I'm they, him. He's me. Oh, this is the 80s were a good year. Let's go with another four. Exactly. <laughs> so the, um, he's going to coast off of that. And then William Jennings Bryan is trying to come back. Like, hey, guys, all right, we got some cool shit done, but we need other cool shit to do now, right? Wouldn't that be great? He's trying to appeal to everybody. No. For everything that people liked about William Jennings Bryan, uh, he sure knows how to pick some unpopular shit. Um, you can't get the backing of the major cities because you keep telling the cities they have to live a shittier life in order to, for the farmers to do better. And a lot of the people in the cities aren't doing well enough that they think they need to be inconvenienced to help out some fucking potato farmer in Iowa. Mm-hmm. So they're not really having it over there. He also decides that he's going to back this federal income tax, which, as we discussed, is not really a great idea. Yeah, people didn't like that idea? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't like that. Yeah. The candidate that promotes – more taxes usually doesn't have a real popular back. No. no, you have to have you have to hide your message. You're like, oh, by the way, taxes are going up, but uh, look under your seats, everybody. You, you get, get a car. <laughs> you get a car. You. So uh, now, Free also, phones. you want to talk about going uh, zero for three here? Lifelong teetoler and a very loud proponent of prohibition. So it's William Jennings Bryan, motherfucker. He wants my money and tells me I can't have beer. We're going to tax you more and take away alcohol. Come come to the polls. <laughs> what are you, insane? What a jerk. Oh, man. Well, the uh, the election here uh, that year was a referendum on TR's reformist ways. Taft promises more of the same, and uh, which is very popular. And William Jennings Bryan, yet again, not able to gain the support of the city's uh, large labor groups. Yeah, you can't tell the Irish that you're taking away their booze. Mm-mm. And that they have to lose some of their hard-earned money so that a potato farmer in Iowa can wow. ensure that they are able to make shepherd pie. So uh, Now, Brian would remain in politics after having lost his third election. Talk about a fucking Susan Rucci over here. Yeah, um, He remains in politics. He may never have been the president, but he did get one time to choose the president. The bizarre election of 1912 saw William Jennings Bryan throw all of his support behind the progressive governor of New Jersey – and Woodrow Wilson. One thing I don't like about Woodrow Wilson, I want I want Jersey's governor to be a Jersey guy. That's what I want. Woodrow Wilson is from Virginia. All right, he's going to come up here and pretend he's a Jersey guy. You know, he's going to call it Taylor Ham when it's really pork roll. You know, he's getting it. Doesn't know the difference between the two. Yeah, that's. That's a sad part. Yeah, he'll tell you how much he loved the Sopranos. You know, all the hack shit. All right, we got real stuff going on. Eat pizza by cutting it with a knife and fork. He doesn't call it down to shore. He says, "I'm going to the beach." (laughs) Like what? Shut your face. Uh, It's uh, yeah. Calls it Newark. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Um, (laughs) Neither was he actually. Probably (laughs) the more we know about Wilson, I think he might have had some strong words about the city of Newark. but uh, now he goes ahead. He gets um, all the support behind the kingmaker of the Democrats. He can't be the president, but he is well listened to. William Jennings Bryan goes ahead and throws all of his support behind him. The fear of losing progressive votes to socialist Eugene Debs, who is running for president from prison, as we discussed. Good for him. Was assuaged by T.R. himself running for president against William Howard Taft. So the Republicans are backing Taft, who's like, more of the same guys were coasting here. And then he pisses off T.R. to the point where T.R. tries to get the nomination from him. But it's hard to get the nomination from the incumbent in the office. Right. right? Yeah. It's hard to run for president when there's already a president. Should have um, just started his own and party. And president <laughs> in between right, when you yeah. did serve. Yeah. So uh, what would you say there, Rich? Say that again? I say he should have just started his own party. Oh, uh, uh, In classic T.R. fashion, almost like Eric Cartman, um, 
<laughs> TR says, screw you guys. I'm going home. So he goes ahead and he, uh, he comes in. Uh, you guys should be closer to the mics. Um, TR starts his own party, literally calls it the Bull Moose Party, all right, or the Progressive Party. The Bull Moose thing is to try to get the uh, the tough guy image behind it, not the uh, Point Dexter bullshit that, uh, you know, Debs and these other We should start from. a party called the Bull Moose Party. Uh, I would be completely okay with it. Um, now, the problem is that takes away a lot of the Republican votes who are not necessarily Republican uh, people. So if you're a big money guy, you're voting for the Republicans on the side of big business and everything. But if you just like TR, you're going to vote for TR. All right. I would almost liken it to when um, uh, a lot of Giants fans have a soft spot for the Patriots because Bill Parcells won two Super Bowls for the Giants and then went up to New England. So people were casually rooting for the New England Patriots. Um, Not anymore. Nope. Uh, well, we beat them in two Super Bowls, so what do we have to worry about, right? Full circle, baby. Um, well, there goes New England listeners. Uh, we have no New England <laughs> listeners. We have no New we England We never had listeners. them in the first place. <laughs> so who hasn't KP insulted today? <laughs> Mets Me, fans, actually, Philippines, no. the uh, Patriots. Guys, uh, I, I, I know you think that I'm just playing to my strengths here and playing to our base. But I just want to say that uh, Russia is one of the most naturally beautiful countries I have ever seen. Okay. And I look forward to one day podcasting from the Kremlin. Um, but uh, yes, red, is, <laughs> red is KP's favorite color. <laughs> um, but uh, as we're moving on here, man, uh, Woodrow Wilson uh, goes ahead and wins the election because TR splits the party vote for the Republicans. Wilson capitalizes, gets uh, you know all the uh, the people who are looking for a little bit of change. He was a relatively popular guy too himself, man. Wilson is now the president of the United States and decides to uh, reward his friend by making uh, William Jennings Bryan the Secretary of State. All right, all right. That is um, that's essentially the highest ranked position in the cabinet. So it's a, a job that is arguably more impactful than the president himself yeah. because you're dealing with all the people overseas, all the international affairs. That's well, Wilson the, also ran against oh, ran with the promise of uh, <clears throat> keeping us out of war because there was things heating up definitely over uh, over in Europe with uh, well, he, the little thing that they called the First World War. If you put TR in office again and there's a world war going on or the Great War as it was known at the right. time and TR's back in office. We're there day one. Yeah. yeah. A, <laughs> We're going in. Oh, man, he would have uh, – he was just – he was a gung-ho guy on that yeah. stuff, man. He sent his own son too, by the way. His son uh, wanted to serve. He lost – I believe one of his sons died in uh, World War One. But TR was a war hawk, so there was a little bit of nerves on that thing. Nobody really wanted to get involved. So the idea of neutrality, very important. Yeah, TR um, actually, I think, lost his son in the Second World War. But you're right. At this particular point, the, the world wars didn't have numbers yet <laughs> because we only went through – one we called that the Great War. He's like, I'll wait for the second one. Right. I'll wait for the sequel. The yeah, sequel. it's uh, like we didn't know there was going to be a House Party four, so yeah. it's just House Party. Well, if uh, you saw the first three, you got to assume. <laughs> um, but now uh, Woodrow Wilson is president of the United States, and they go ahead and uh, we're staying out of the war, and things are great. And William Jennings Bryan is now the Secretary of State, and things are good. And then these fucking German U-boats come in, start pissing us off on a thing called the Lusitania. All right, Germans uh, started. This was the death nail for them. It wasn't even ours. Yeah, it was unrestricted uh, submarine warfare. Good point, by the way. Um, and what they would do is that uh, the U-boats, which was a relatively new invention for the time, and the Germans were perfect at it because uh, Germans questionable social politics, quality engineering. Um, 
they go ahead and uh, they start this thing called unrestricted submarine warfare, where they just start down in any ship that they see. So if you're a cruise ship, if you're a, a and a lot of the times too, let's be honest, there would be troops on board the ship that were a part of uh, you know going over with supplies or something like that to refuel uh, you know refuel the lines. And America's prospering like crazy off the war effort. We're not sending our boys over, but we're making a lot of money doing. We're it. making the, we're, we're sending our steel. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Steel, everything's going over there. Uh, weapons are being made in uh, the United States. This uh, that idea of the military industrial complex. We're profiting handsomely off of that. Um, and then because of that, the German U-boats start taking down these ships because if you can starve the boys out of the front by them not getting resupplied and you know food and everything else like that, you can end the war quickly. So it's a, a bad thing for a possible good reason. Uh, now, obviously, they sink the Lusitania, which pisses off a lot of Americans because Americans are on board a lot of these vessels that are going down. So uh, Germany fucks up a little bit. Largest immigrant population in the United States at this time, by the way, and we've said this on other podcasts, German and Irish are the two largest ethnic groups moving into the United States. So uh, if you go to war with Germany, you are possibly alienating a good chunk of your own country because these people are from the fatherland. You know, um, And then the other thing that you're going to piss off everybody is if you go to war with Germany, you're going to piss off the Germans. But if you go to war with Germany and line up with the UK to support the English, you're going to piss off all the Irish that just came to America to get away from these bastards. So really a no-win situation. Neutrality seems to be the way to do things. But these U-boat attacks force Woodrow Wilson to finally go ahead and actually take a hardline stance on it, saying, all right, we're going to get involved here uh, because this U-boat shit has to stop. William Jennings Bryan hears this and the staunch interventionist, all right, who uh, just is furious about this, everything he stood for in neutrality, he was more steadfast in his beliefs than Woodrow Wilson. Wilson caved in part due to the popularity of the idea of getting involved in the war because we're getting pissed off at these fucking krauts, you know, nuking our subs, if you will. Uh, get, uh, nuking us from their subs, rather, I should say. So uh, Wilson's starting to fear that he might not get reelected, so he caves and says, we're going to get involved in the war. William Jennings Bryan, because he's a company man? No, he's not. <laughs> he goes ahead, he resigns immediately. And here's the crazy I thing. Quit. Yeah, this is what I actually admired about the, the guy. The exact too. same pitch, too. He said... <laughs> It would be great if William Jennings Bryan had a Muppet-like voice. I it, don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to go to war. I don't even think so. He, uh, that makes his boring speeches even. <laughs> oh yeah. That makes his boring ass speeches even more interesting. Who wants then the gold standard, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you. I think on the first episode we had. Uh, it'd be great if Grover Cleveland's voice was Grover from Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you guys don't want this. <laughs> uh, but. Anyway, the, uh, the point is William Jennings Bryan resigns from his position as Secretary of State, one of the most powerful offices in the – one of the pa- most powerful positions right. you could have in the entire United States. Uh, literally, the president is somebody he picked to you know, be in the office that's going to continue his policies, but he's so against this shit. At the same time, though, he's still a patriot, man. He says, if you need to, I will enlist as a private and go over and fight in the Great War. Whatever capacity they need me in, I will go over and serve. They declined letting him get involved in military service because he was too popular and useful of a guy here stateside. So well, that needs a wimp. He's a, still a staunch interventionist. <laughs> so, that great line from. Uh, <laughs> you go to war. Nah, you're better off here. That great line from uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights when um, the sheriff of Rottingham confronts him at first. He goes, I am the sheriff of Rottingham. And uh, uh, Robin of Loxley, uh, you know, Carrie Alice, which fucking. Awesome. Brilliant line. And he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, my father couldn't get me into the National Guard. <laughs> I said, hey. Um, so William Jennings Bryan, 
is unfondly remembered because at this point he's a pretty popular American. You lost three elections. Um, they talked about running him for the Prohibition Party as their candidate. Uh, yeah, thank that would God. Have been number four. Oh boy, I wish it, it is did. A, it's a uh, always a bridesmaid moment for him here. But now he finally gets where he wants to be, and then they do something he doesn't like, so he leaves. All right, kind of respect him on that one here. I'm about to get into the thing that he is unfondly remembered for because um, we're going to wrap up here in a second or so. Um, LP, do you have anything else that we missed so far? Because I, I know the last thing we're going to talk about here. Okay. I'm very excited about that. Um, Rich, was there anything else that you knew about the guy that we haven't hit yet? Um, are you going to talk about how he supported Prohibition or we're just going to pretend that he's not the worst human being? It's a <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Let's just, let's just keep putting it out there. This guy was started as a Burma Democrat. Yeah, it's a, literally you're going to come from the bourbon Democrats. You're like, oh, let's get rid of the bourbon, and then let's get rid of the actual bourbon. So he must have been doing some sort of business jerk. dealings on the sides for, to support that. That's probably one of the. Well, he um, he's an interesting guy with all that stuff. He actually uh, removes himself from politics, and then uh, he's real big on religion and has like a Bible study. And uh, he actually is a Florida real estate uh, mogul for a little bit. Uh, moving things down in South Beach where old Larry's going to be heading here in a couple of days. Nice. I feel like him and Al Capone would have gone along swimmingly. There <laughs> you go. <laughs> uh, I, it's an interesting thing because he actually looks a little bit like him. Uh, but uh, William Jennings Bryan so kind of – So does his wife. Yeah. <laughs> I did look up a picture of the business earlier. Oh, and look at his daughter. His daughter, like if you take the hair away, it's just – is him. Oh, uh, by the way, <laughs> my dad was William Jennings Bryan. Uh, anyway, that uh, – Sorry. No, it, I think it would be tough uh, to have a Bible study in South Beach, especially today. Um, that it's really hard to read the good book and get filled up with the love and you know life of the Lord uh, when a, a, a Cuban girl's walking by in a two-piece. They're I mean, free, you know, thanks to him. Just imagine Camilla Cabela. All right, Camilla Cabela, whatever she pronounces her name. Just imagine her walking by in a, a two-piece while you're trying to study Proverbs. And, uh, I mean, I can't focus on the end of this podcast right now. That's yeah. that's how attractive that woman is. But uh, that being said, man, we go ahead and we move on down to uh, – he's in Florida. Gets real big on religion. He's getting big on the good book. He's always been involved in religion right. and thinks that religion is good for teaching morality. Okay, Not that he's saying that this is exactly how it happened and there was a flood and all that other stuff. But he does believe in the morals of that and that's another appeal for him as the great commoner because he always had this faith in uh, you know the common man. Um, now he is very unfondly remembered, uh, and it, it really tainted his legacy too, um, for being anti-Darwin. Mm -hmm. That uh, he was against the teaching of Darwinism in schools, but it was because he thought that parents would have the right and ought to have the right to control what the what's being taught in the schools. So if you had a religious background and you didn't want that violated in a classroom, uh, you did have a right to be heard on that one. So uh, now he gets involved with something known as the Scope Trials. Okay. William Jennings Bryan is clearly a brilliant man, all right, but he is portrayed as an absolute buffoon in his defense uh, or his uh, prosecution, I will say, um, during the scope trials. William Jennings Bryan believed that the theory of Darwin uh, could lead to social Darwinism, which he had labeled as a cause for almost all the ethnic cleansing in history. So, yeah, the theory of evolution with Darwin, it's the only the strong survive. Well, okay, well, if the strong right now. Um, Let's say uh, – let's put this over into uh, a context I can try to break it down. It will be less offensive to people. Is this going to be another Tom Coughlin reference? No. Uh, I'm out of them. I'm out of them. I'm out of them. It's kind of like 
Pat Shermer would say. <laughs> now, uh, the, the context I'm going to use for this is that, uh, so my mother's Armenian. I'm adopted, so I don't have any of that awesome uh, uh, Armenian DNA or Mediterranean nonsense to me. That's why uh, I, much like my father, uh, burn in uh, Vermont in a summer day. Um, but the Armenians got uh, uh, ethnic cleansing around this time frame, the, the 1900s. Uh, in uh, the Armenian genocide, okay, and they were genocided uh, by the Turks, if you will. I don't know if genocide is a word, right? but uh, the genocide was carried out by the it Ottoman Turks. It is in the KP Burke Dictionary. Yeah, the, uh, the Seljuk Turks, too, by the way. Um, so the, the group was known as the Young Turks. They carried out this um, mass extermination of the Armenian people uh, in a belief that uh, the Armenians were subhuman and below them, right? That they were the tr- So it was the social Darwinism was the catalyst for this. So it was the idea that, well, they're not Turks, so what use do we have for them? They're Armenians. Let's get rid of them. And uh, that's used uh, throughout – I mean every civilization has that. They all have this idea of what's the apex uh, society to be a part of and that other societies uh, should be eradicated in order to strengthen the society that's uh, at the top. Like a so, higher race. Pretty much. Um, okay. Now what's fucked up is um, that – he thought, and WJB thought that this was a bad move for the Darwinism because it was going to the people were like, oh yeah, and the the theory of evolution, right? That that was going to be used as an excuse for the United States to start doing some fucked up shit. Okay, you've already freed the slaves here. There's a lot of agitation, everything going on between. Uh, I mean, still to this day, there's some agitation between uh, the African American communities, uh, communities not feeling like they're a part of uh, you know the, the true America, if you will, and uh, vice versa. So he was against this idea because he thought that it could lead to some really bad shit and uh, uh, provide a solid ground for some horrible, heinous things to go on down the road here. A little bit ahead of his time, wasn't he? Now, uh, he goes against the teaching of uh, Darwinism and actually tries to have it blocked in a lot of schools. Now, uh, the Scopes trial is interesting because John T. Scopes is a substitute biology teacher in Tennessee. Okay? Fucking substitutes. Put on Shrek on VHS <laughs> and shut and go, up and go read your phone. You know what I mean? It's that easy. Yeah, you see a substitute in there, you go get a bagel. You don't want to get taught the theory of evolution on a day off. So, you know what's now that I actually think about it? I don't think I actually had one substitute that I actually taught a lesson plan. Like it's always been pop a movie and you're done, <clears throat> yeah. or write out a paragraph or something. You see and when then, they try, and they would just. Yeah. I've yeah. never – I don't think I've ever seen one try. When they try to teach, it's like, God, we're not here for you, all right? This is not your moment in time. This is like, oh, finally, I'm going to get a chance to reach these kids. Use as no. a study hall. Don't get too loud. Yeah, pretty much. Right. Just Hey, guys, relax. All right, we're having a good day here, all right? <laughs> Key, After though, Sh- don't be disrespectful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After Shrek – Don't break yours. anything. <laughs> After Shrek, we'll put on Shrek too. You guys get the drift, all right? Everybody's cool? So – but uh, yeah, the substitute teacher, Scopes, goes in and tries to teach the theory of evolution. Uh, in this classroom in Tennessee, and that goes against something that was known as the Butler Law, which uh, it did not allow for um, the uh, didn't allow for the teaching of Darwinism in public schools. Um, and again, that's not because we don't believe in it, because that's what they want to you know that they label anybody who did. Oh, we're just a bunch of stupid Southerners. We think Noah's our dad. <laughs> so uh, that they, voice, though. yeah, they weren't going against all that shit, man. They were just going against the idea that well, I don't really want this shit taught to my kid in an indoctrination type fashion. So that's where William Jennings Bryan goes in on it. Um, now, everybody's in agreement that Scopes violated the Butler Act. They just didn't know what to, to, what to le- how to legislate with it. Right. It's a big government thing. It's a separation of church and state thing. There's a lot of hot-button issues here. Scopes was fined uh, for this originally, and his entire legal defense was funded by the American Civil Liberties Union. Those fun guys, the ACLU. Yeah, you know? they're still at it. <laughs> Those troublemakers. So – 
Um, they go ahead and uh, the head attorney that they provide is a, a guy, a pretty interesting dude here, famous guy named Clarence Darrow, who was involved in the Leopold and Loeb um, trials and several other big trials. Uh, so this guy was he was a um, he was a Johnny Cochran esque. He was a head, he was a heavy hitter. Oh yeah, they and uh, very head of the curve. Yeah, they weren't calling in some slouch for this, but. No, they were also uh, going. He's also going against William Jennings Bryan, who's got a little notoriety, notoriety to himself. So, oh, it should be a, yeah. a, a great, you know, knockout, dragout fight things. here. Right. Um, but what Darrow does that uh, completely disrupts, uh, you know, William Jennings Bryan is he puts him on the stand and makes him testify on behalf of the literal word of the Bible. The literal word of the Bible. Right. He puts him up as an expert on the literal word of the Bible, and and basically. The defense is asking the prosecutor to testify in the defense's behalf kind of a thing. So, yeah. Also fucked up, too, because, again, William Jennings Bryan didn't cite the Bible as, oh, and this is all it ever is, and all science is bullshit. He was just saying, this is a great way to teach morals to your people so that we can have a better society, so that we can fund all these great ideas I have, because we are all brothers in this thing. That's what God taught us, right, guys? So he's not teaching you bad shit. That's when the anti- like, no! Yeah, the, <laughs> the anti-religious people are... Um, uh, He's just digging his own freaking hole at this point. They he? got him good, Cahoons. Here's what they do to him. They make him uh, talk about when <laughs> he thinks uh, the world started, the creation. Oh, this should be good. So um, they go ahead and he says, well, I suppose it was around the time of uh, the Great Flood. And then he says, well, there's a Chinese culture that existed 7,000 years before the, uh, the Great Flood uh, is said to have occurred. So what about those guys? Where's their story? And he goes, well, I don't need to know their story because the Christian religion's always been just fine for me. All right? Okay. So he goes ahead and he moves on with that shit. Uh, they, they tear him apart. He gets treated like an utter buffoon uh, while he's up on the stand because you have to back the Bible. He doesn't even necessarily back the Bible himself. He just likes what it teaches. All right? They beat the ever-loving shit out of him in this thing. His reputation is pretty much ruined. Um, William Jennings Bryan did the right thing his entire life, lost every single time, right? But looked good doing it. You know, everybody's like, oh, he's a good man of integrity, all this other and shit. And then he turned into Alex Jones. Then finally, <laughs> <laughs> then finally, uh, he gets made to be an utter buffoon, ruins his reputation, but he wins the case, all right? So that whole thing about <laughs> oh, he wins the case. So he finally knows what it's like to win, and it ruins him completely. So, I mean, it's pretty ironic that at the most of his career, he's the most famous left-leaning liberal mm-hmm. in the country, um, anti this, anti that, and then his reputation is ruined for arguing for religion. Yep, because he he had faith in the common people, and he knew that the uh, faith was important to the common people. So that loyalty at the end costs him his reputation. Um, there's a play that came out in response to McCarthyism. What was it? Inherit the wind. Oh, the, the 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 movie was Inherit the Wind, and that was the, the Scopes trial with uh, Spencer Tracy playing the part of uh, Darrow, and I forget who played the part of uh, William Jennings. Well, he Bryan, was portrayed as a bumbling idiot, yeah, so it's now right. one of the greatest yeah. uh, orators of all time. The guy who is the essentially the the epicenter of all progressive thought in America uh, is portrayed as a bumbling, uh, like you know, clip on tie, bumbling through his papers. Right, right. And like, um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not but, interested in the ages of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like uh, it's like Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters too. And he goes, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> just stumbling over his words, not getting anything right here, man, no, and it character. ruins him forever. Um, now that being said, uh, on Sunday, July yeah, but he 26th, did get to make out with Sigourney Weaver. So it's a <laughs> so there wasn't a mu- too much losery there for me. Okay, who brought the dog? <laughs> 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 on uh, on Sunday now, uh, 
July 26, literally days after winning the trial that ruined his reputation, William Jennings Bryan dies in his sleep. Oh. Uh, like I said, he is remembered as one of the most, uh, one of the foremost important American politicians to never be president. Um, now that being said, here we have a. Um, I'm I'm stoked about this one. I get excited <laughs> with every sharp left hand turn we take Scopes. on the story. Um, yeah, this uh, to uh, increase the scope of this uh, episode here. My father has something he wants to bring in real quick that I want to go out on as our uh, our last thing. So that being said, real quick, guys, if you like the show, you like what we're doing, please go ahead and uh, like, subscribe on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, anywhere you want to listen to podcasts. If you can leave us a review on iTunes if you're listening on that. Um, takes a couple of seconds here, man. It really helps us out because it helps push us up the rankings. Um, we lose money on this podcast every week, but I'm willing to lose money on it because I believe in this. It's my passion project. I love doing it. Uh, I love bringing my friends in on it. I love doing it with, uh, you know, uh, bringing my Poor father me. in on the show here. And uh, I love uh, Mike and Ming letting us do this over here at the studio, man. They take excellent care of us, but the show does cost money. So if you can help us increase uh, our revenue by just giving us a, a quick review. I'm not asking for money. Just leave me a fucking review. You know what I'm saying? Uh, click. Yeah. <laughs> click will help. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Just a couple quick clicks, man. Help us out on that thing. Uh, if you can, tell somebody about the show, man. We really enjoy it. We have a good time. We want to keep this going as long as we can. I want to say thank you to the kahuna behind the ones and twos taking good care of us here, buddy. Always. And I know we've interrupted brunch for you now as well. Um, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry. It's, and, uh, it's not like I missed bacon. It's all and, good. <laughs> and I do also real quickly want to say, if you guys want to follow me, it's uh, at KP Burke Sucks on Twitter and Instagram, KP Burke on Facebook. Uh, Rich, I want to thank you as well, pal, because oh. you um, you are one of my closest friends. I enjoy talking to you on the Ugh. phone uh, pretty much every day. And uh, It doesn't say much for Rich, though, does it? It's, no. no you're uh, one of his closest friends? Or? It does not. It's <laughs> It's uh, I like uh, I like to think of it this way, man. Uh, this show would not exist without Rich McDonald, who, uh, like he said in the oh, opening, God. he's apologized for it. I'm sorry. So. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. It's been too long. Uh, KP has been offering to bring me on, and you know, with work schedules and the fact that I perform a lot because I'm a very successful comedian, it's been tough to get down here. Um, that and I had a day job, but uh, this is a blast. Can't wait to come back. Uh, Hanging out with Larry and Big Kahuna has been great. Who said you were coming back? <laughs> but honestly, the last episode you ever do where we just do your life as an American loser, um, <laughs> I really want to be there. Can we have an that's audience a, for that one? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's I feel like entire, I'm going to be in a pine box just for Just promise that me that. That's all that's I want. A, that's all I want. We'll record an episode. Well, you're actually going to come <laughs> me in and Larry for, uh, doing your life. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it's a couple weird ones. There's a couple stories about uh, Larry walking in on my room when I'm in seventh grade that probably wouldn't make the podcast. Um, <laughs> I've also walked into rooms that are not gonna that's make a- the podcast. <laughs> that's right. There you go. Uh, that's true. Um, I did vomit in your basement once. Uh, but well, our big we point we had that one friend. We got this awesome, weird, bizarre left hand turn that uh, Kahuna's jaw didn't quite hit the ground this episode yet. Because we've been saving it for last, all right, buddy? So put down some sort of plastic or something to pick up the drool. Hold on. That's right. Please has got a barf bag ready. I want you to enjoy this, and uh, we're going to go out on this one here. Um, Rich, can they, where can they follow you? At McDonald and Carney on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, you don't like Facebook. No, it's Good. there. But uh, look up Big Rich from Jersey, one word, or uh, you can go to McDonaldandCarney.com, and uh, we're all over. Thanks. Excellent, man. I'm looking forward to that one here. LP, um, when you found this, I thought you were full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is this is too deep, man. Um, please illuminate us, kind sir, on the tie-ins between the gold standard and L. Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz. Well, Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
You got to remember, we're going back now uh, to recap um, that campaign of 1896 between McKinley and, and Bryan. The big, the big bone of contention, if you will, was do we stay with the gold standard or do we go with free silver? And there was a lot of different things back and forth, dividing the, the country between the haves and the have-nots as to which way we're going to go. Um, in 1900, there's a guy by the name of L. Frank Baum who writes this children's book. Now, not for nothing, he, uh, he also wrote on behalf of President William McKinley, correct? Uh, yeah, he, he was a, a, a supporter of that, um, the gold standard. Um, but anyhow, there was a high school uh, teacher. Uh, we, we would disparage the substitute teacher with the Scopes uh, trial, but there's a high school teacher from Mount Vernon, New York, a guy by the name of Henry Littlefield, who in 1964 writes this article, uh, gets it published, and his take on um, the wonderful Wizard of Oz is he's taking it as a political parable of the United States at the end of the 19th century, which focused on the Get election of 1896. Get the hell out of here. If you are uh, in 2019, if you are a so, proponent of free silver, please stop listening now. We're about to ruin the Wizard of Oz. For yeah, you. really. So the next time you're watching the Wizard of Oz, you might pick up on a, a few little tidbits back and forth here that um, – it was Littlefield's contention that the Wicked Witch of the East is actually portraying the Eastern industrialists and bankers who dehumanized the simple labor force. Well, they got crushed, right? So that the faster and better he worked, the more quickly he become a kind of machine, according to Littlefield. The munchkins, right? Yeah. Well, they're the people. They're the citizens. They're the ones that are being oppressed uh, under the under the rule. Um, the book— that Baum wrote, originally Dorothy was going to put on silver slippers. It wasn't until the movie of 1939 that they, made that them they red. turned into the ruby slippers. Only reason they did that is because the movie was in color. And they were like, let's show it off. Right, right. That silver would be blurred out on, on the big screen. That red was, was a more uh, predominant. visible, predominant color, right? a very strong color. But in the book, originally Dorothy was going to put on the silver slippers. And where was Dorothy directed to go? Down the yellow brick road, the gold brick road that would lead to the land of Oz. How do you spell Oz? O-Z. What's the, uh, the abbreviation for ounce? Gold ounces Son of silver a ounces? I, I planted that seed a while Oz. ago. No. Uh, <laughs> right. Yo, you planted that perfectly. <laughs> it's like yeah. Kaiser oh, Sosa. Wow. Style. Yeah. So you're going to go to the land of Oz to... Uh, so the key to making a good Wizard of Oz movie is political satire. Uh, essentially, yeah. I mean, they, they were able to, to move this into there. I mean, I know you got a couple more examples. Here. Yeah, I mean, and this the, gets the, even the scarecrow, more up. The scarecrow was the dumb farmer, the, mm. uh, the <sighs> dumb Western farmer that... What was the scarecrow looking for? A fucking brains. A uh, brain, right? The scarecrow was looking for a brain <laughs> oh so, he could, so he could figure this shit out. The tin woodman... Right, the woodman, not woodman, the woodman. Uh, he's the downtrodden Eastern workers that, with the whole um, panic, with the whole panic of '93, there was a lot of people that were put out of work. Right, finding courage. Oh my God! Well, they were find, you know, put oh, them back, wait. put them back to work, and it would take the industrial oil can 
to put them back back to work kind of a thing. The cowardly lion is actually William Jennings Bryan because he didn't he didn't have the cur- <laughs> he didn't have the courage to uh, to stay with the with the gold standard. Um, the so wizard- just to recap on the because the wizard thing that that one fucks me up a little bit. But just just to unpack this for a second here, if you're hearing this, this is what we've just uh, uncovered here. Oh, so my God. Dorothy's silver slippers, all right, uh, we're going to take her down the yellow brick road. So the only way that she can get where she's got to go is she's got to take the gold standard and use that to get there. And the scarecrow, who you know, the mindless farmer, and the tin woodsman, all right, the, the mechanical uh, uh, industrial. Uh, so these guys all need help. The only way to get them where they all got to go so things can get better is if you follow the gold standard. If you follow right? the gold, the yellow and brick the road, the gold standard. And the cowardly lion who, uh, you know, he's out in the woods. Remember, he's trying to scare everybody. Right. And then you realize he's just a pussy. <laughs> so uh, now that's actually William Jennings Bryan, who L. Frank Baum was not a fan of whatsoever. If you just have courage, we could all get where we got to go to get down to see the Wizard of Oz and OZ ounces right. in gold. Okay, or the Emerald, the Emerald City, Washington, Washington D.C. Oh my God! And you know the whole connotation <laughs> that <laughs> greenbacks. You know the Emerald City and the greenbacks with with the dollar. Um, it, it have faith in in the American no, dollar. Got headphones off. I'm backed done. backed by the gold standard. Dorothy is every man. She's mm-hmm. she's going to be now. This was little uh, Littlefield's interpretation of that movie. There was a lot of people that made similar um, parables to the whole thing to the Wizard of Oz, but this was probably one of the most predominant ones. This with- is the second weirdest thing I've discovered about <laughs> the Wizard of Oz recently. Also, that if you watch it with dark with a Pink Dark Floyd. Side of the moon. Yeah, it syncs up perfectly. If you're just finding that out now, you need more friends that smoke pot, but <laughs> No, I found it out last year, not just now. But fucking that's that wild awesome. and Yeah, that's and it was uh, there was there was a lot of other stuff that's too that you know that uh, it was whole the uh, good versus evil uh, with the evil with the wicked witches um that I got to tell you now, now the bar to make my jaw drop has been significantly <laughs> raised. There's n- like, come on. Yeah. yeah, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Imagine if you liked sports, Kahuna. Yeah. I do like sports. <laughs> I just don't follow it. No, oh, my so God. So now the, the Wizard of Oz thing, was there anything else with the M-City on that one? Because I know that we're, we're ruining some lives here, that the, every time you enjoy the Wizard of Oz, you're taking part in right-wing propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think you know if you wanted to do your own research, there are other interpretations of the Wizard of Oz, but this clearly has the, to me personally has the strongest uh, direct connotations um, with the yeah, Yellow Brick and Road and Emerald and and everything else. And, and I love it because you can't you can't watch it the same way now. So yeah. Next time I watch Wizard of Oz, I'm we can watch it even high. even That's the like, Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> even the Wizard. You're gonna listen to uh, the Dark Side of the Moon underneath it. The wizard was any president from Grant to McKinley that symbolizes the American uh, uh, leadership that he was able to be everything to everybody. And, you know, he was really uh, not the the driver. He was just the the man behind the curtain that was uh, pretending to make make shit happen when it really wasn't. Uh, Wow. Just a a great. uh, It just gets better and better. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing else we can top on that one here to go out on. So uh, if anybody else had anything, man, I just want to say thank you again for listening to the show. We're having an absolute blast with this. Uh, go check out McDonald and Carney, super funny improv group. One Rich is one half of it, the better half, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and th- <laughs> that being said, guys, uh, testimony. There. LP's sure. going off to Florida for a couple of weeks. So we're going to have some guests in to fill in for him, but he will be back. I promise you. I know a lot of the fans really like the. Uh, I the miss you and your rustling get. papers. 
That's a <laughs> he'll be breathing into a mic in South Beach sometime next go. week. Uh, that being Mike said, who? Guys, <laughs> it's awkward. Uh, that being said, guys, uh, I want to say thank you again. And uh, my name was KP Burke. This was American Loser, William Jennings Bryan. Thank you. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. American loser the day I was born.